1: I know I do. Proverbs are short, general truths or pieces of vice. They can be a source of wisdom, which is why I read the Bible book Proverbs most nights while I was in college, because I was seeking wisdom. Proverbs come from many sources, and some become common sayings, such as measure twice, cut once. Wisdom for carpenters, no doubt. Or how about this one? Look before you leap. That's something many parents have shared with the impetuous child from time to time, and I may have heard that one a few times myself. I also love innovation proverbs, and I found a book full of them. It's titled The Innovator's Book, Rules for Rebels, Mavericks, and Innovators. It's a great title. The author is Dr. Max McKeown. He's an award-winning author and artist who seeks to make complex ideas practical for the real world, and that's what this book delivers. We discuss a few of our favorite proverbs from the book together. Also, remember, we take notes for you. So if you hear any insights from the discussion, something you want to go back to, you'll find that in the show notes. It's a great summary of what we talk about. That's also a wonderful way to share the podcast with others. Just send them to the summary. And that's at com slash 260. Now, let's talk about some innovation rules. Max, thanks so much for joining the Everyday Innovators.
2: Great to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me.
1: You have written a number of books on innovation and strategy, and I'm holding in my hand here a new book from you called The Innovator's Book. And I kind of look at it as a set of proverbs for innovators, right? And innovators is this really large title. Here we call our listeners the everyday innovators, which is anyone that kind of just looks at the world through an innovation list. like, hey, I can make that better, right? Add value there. And by proverbs, I mean, every little section which is, you know, a couple of pages typically has this beautiful artwork and then proverb-like rules or instructions, reflective thoughts. I wanted to start with just kind of setting the ground with how do you describe innovation?
2: So innovation is about making new ideas useful. Hmm. So it's a form of practical creativity and specifically that practical creativity focused on making a new idea useful or valuable in some way. Uh-huh. And that has—it's it, interesting because if you only view innovation as something that is new, then what you're missing out is the work of an innovator, uh, which is somewhat different to perhaps the the work of an artist who makes something beautiful, and that might have a purpose too, of uh-huh. course. But it's the purpose behind it; it's the purpose that you're doing something with it, it's going to end up solving a problem or helping in some way or getting you to a place that you want to go to. You take a new idea, whether it's yours or somebody else's, and you put it to work. That mm-hmm. uh, that really is the the job of an innovator. Yeah. Or one of them.
1: Yeah. And those new ideas, you talk about solving a problem, I think of always in terms of adding value to someone. I'm particularly interested, you mentioned artists, and, and you are also an artist. And this I think there's this intersection that I'm frankly kind of getting more in touch with as just I like get more experience with art and innovation, yeah, right, and probably Steve Jobs may have embodied this particularly well for those that are fans of Apple products, and you kind of see an art aspect in and the value they created as well how How do you feel about that interaction
2: well, again it's it's creativity so mm-hmm. so we know that Almost every product, every idea, every physical object has at some point been drawn up, whether it's a sketch. We, you know, if you follow patents that end up with a sketch of how everything from an iPhone to a locomotive to a car to a plane mm-hmm. to a coffee cup holder, somebody at some point has drawn it originally in some kind of prototype form and then eventually it is protected as a drawing. And then it becomes more and more refined until it pops out into the world, at which point somebody does some more drawings to figure out the advertising to push this thing into the world. And mm-hmm. that's sketched up and that becomes a storyboard and that ends up on our television. So the it, it is creativity. And we know that a lot of very, very creative people start that way in particular. Mm-hmm. They want to think faster than they can write and uh, you can capture a lot more in uh, a picture than you can in a word. Yeah. Uh, clearly, the, the thousand, uh, picture paints a thousand words uh, type idea. Uh, and that's really embedded in this book as well, of course. Mm-hmm. You look at it, and at first glance, that's just fun and playful. But then I know they stick with people. Uh, I'm a psychologist. Uh, I know how embedded that becomes, and you can't unsee it. Right, And so that's going to stick with you. And stick with you so, so there's tremendous flow between the two the two uh, and just allowing people to be playful is another one mm-hmm. when I'm teaching and I'm up there and I have this two, two meter by four meter board it's huge sort of canvas floor to, to ceiling and I'm drawing all these uh, what I think are beautiful cartoon artworks mm-hmm. to go with what I'm saying as I speak but when I do that in a longer form what you do is as soon as you turn it back to the audience and say, Hey, could you draw something that represents what's happening? You see this explosion of kindergarten style creativity mm-hmm. because people the whole time were moving their hands as I was moving them, and suddenly they're creating and recreating their world rather than being lost, I think, in paper, rather sterile printed spreadsheety paper yeah. and PowerPoint slides.
1: Exactly. And I will add a link to one of your videos so listeners can see what that's like. And I'm glad you brought that up. I was curious about just your experience with as you convey information, you're drawing on this, you know, huge canvas the images related to what you're exploring, right? What what you're explaining yeah. and sharing. And I looked at that as as I watched your video in preparation for this and thought that's a really good way to add another bandwidth of the communication channel, right? You're adding another dimension that's visual and not just talking. And it's different than we might do with slides or, you know, pictures that we show because it's happening in in real time and you can kind of adapt as to the audience, but then engaging the audience and having them reflect through drawings that just wakes up another part of our brain. And kind of gets us involved in the learning in a very different way than just
2: listening. It, it really does. I mean, we know the visual information, it's, uh, it, it captures the attention more. Mm-hmm. And we want people's attention because if we don't have their attention, we don't really have all their thoughts. It can be understood quicker, which again, the, 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 from the psychological research, we un- it's understood quicker. Then it's understood at a greater depth because you can do something with a picture. You can move Uh it around. We were visual long before we were textual. So that's why there are the cave paintings, because we wanted to store our memory and then consider it, consider what had happened. uh, And it's very engaging, even if you couldn't describe it. So all of those levels, the the art, uh, I think, is terrifically powerful at expressing those ideas and allowing you to come back to it. So anybody in this uh, page on a shark, there's a, there's a page in the book about being a shark mm-hmm. and there is therefore a picture of a little baby surf riding the shark and the shark represents new ideas and their power to change things. And that power's is ro- really bad when it's coming at you uh, and to, sort of to disrupting you. But it's really great if it's your set of ideas and you're you know, bringing them into the world. But as soon as I draw up that shark, people know it's about competition, at least. Mm. And they know it's about threat. Instantly, they hear jaws in their head. Mm-hmm. And then you get to change that round and say, but be the shark. And then you're drawing it and you're adding them on caricatures of the audience on top of the shark. Even if that's, you know, a thousand people, you can pick somebody out in the audience. So, so I think, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a pretty deep way of teaching that has proved very effective.
1: Yeah, it works well for you. And for product managers, for everyday innovators listening, You know, the lesson here too is just sketching, right? As we're developing ideas, a very useful way to share those and also flesh them out in our own mind is to just draw different sketches of them. And you know, my drawing is stick figures. That, that's my artistic level of capability because I've not invested time doing any better. But nonetheless, I can sketch out my ideas on paper and that just changes how I think about it. Yes. And if I do it with others, that that creates a collaborative experience where we can start sharing the ideas together. And so it's just a really powerful tool to include sketching in our work.
2: Yes, and to to, to do so ahead of other things. Yep. Why not Why not minute your meeting by just taking a photo? That's mm-hmm. what I do in my work. Mm-hmm. So you produce the, the picture together, but the picture is the roadmap. Mm-hmm. So why, why do we go through the unnecessary step of tidying it all up? And losing the will to live, <laughs> rather than well, you know, it's, it, it's it right. Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Depending on your view, he's a you know hero villain hero <laughs> villain. But it, well, in the news that he may have banned PowerPoint in his business, and he's not the first one to do that. I think mm-hmm. Elon Musk has done something similar. But surely that's to try to get people to focus on the actual work and the creativity and the making the idea useful and the outcome, not to spend all your time refining something soulless. Mm-hmm. And uh, the drawings is a very quick way of getting there mm-hmm. rather than losing yourself in, I think, the superficial.
1: Good. I want to get back to drawings as we talk through some of these yeah. tips and tools. But I have a, another question for you because along the way in, in your writing, you said that innovators make the world go round. Tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, I need to I need to show your audience if I'm speaking. So that's the page, yeah. Because this is not yeah. a book like other books. So that's the page. Innovation makes the world go round.
1: And for those listening, we should just describe that real quick. So this looks like a caveman, for lack of something better. You can describe it sitting on top of the globe, right?
2: Yes. So yeah, very, very much. So, so yeah, there, there, there is a world, and on top of that, there's a human. In this case, a caveman, because those first ancestors of ours, they had that ability to, to imagine. Uh-huh. And what they can do, and this is really the core human ability, is to be able to take ideas that are stored somewhere, they're referred to as neuronal ensembles, but anyway, ideas in your head, uh-huh. and draw them out. If I say to your audience right now, pineapple, You've now got a pineapple in your head. It's, it's there in the front. You you could and if I say monkey, you've now got a monkey in your head. If I say to you, the monkey is now juggling the pineapple, you can do that. It's mm-hmm. now in your head. You've never seen it. How about he's juggling a pineapple and a chainsaw? Can Ooh. you do that? Now we've got a chainsaw, chainsaw, and he's and you can see that in your mind. And that's the key human ability is to be able to do that to be able to imagine so in a very very real way as soon as humans have that ability to imagine ideas store swap discuss consider remember that's the start of history
1: Hmm.
2: and that's the start of human history so ideas make the world go round, but also That is our nature. And everything that ever changes that's worth talking about isn't just a battle. It's an idea. Mm -hmm. Printing comes along as an idea. Writing comes along as an idea. Democracy or monarchies, they're all ideas. And we consume those. And the the amazing thing with us is we'll copy other people's ideas and follow their behavior. And we can even inject new ones. And you suddenly go, oh, wow. That's incredible. I'm going to do that. That's worth. people go to war for these things. They fight for peace for these things. They buy these things. It's really ideas. Therefore, innovation make the world go round and always have done and always will do.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. It's a force that innovation puts out into the world. And I like the ripple analogy. This is what I always think about yeah. in my head is dropping the the stone into the pond or the lake and you see those ripples out and i think of as innovators very much as we as individuals are in some way impacting ourselves and those around us and when we work in an organization we're impacting the society around that organization and ultimately we're impacting the economy of the world trying to add value
2: where uh, wherever we are in that
1: in that ripple path right
2: so yeah absolutely and it might only seem like it's I mean, I don't know for your audience. Sometimes people can be really proud of what they do and see Mm -hmm. its full impact. Sometimes people cannot really care whether it's impactful or not. It's a means to an end. Mm -hmm. I need to work, so I do this. And other people can be a little bit doubtful that the thing that they do has any benefit. But if I look at today's news that uh, Tom's, the the toothpaste people, Mm -hmm. they brought out the first recyclable toothpaste tube. Mm -hmm. So you can have your plastic tube. You remember when they were made of metal, right? Right, yeah. Toothpaste tube made of metal, and you had to sort of fold it all the way up. Uh, But at least it was recyclable. Uh Before that, it was in a tub, I seem to recall. Toothpaste was in a tub, and you'd scrape it out, and people would put it on their teeth. And before that, it was just pieces of wood with aniseed. (laughs) But now we've gone all the way through to we have these squeezable uh, toothpaste tubes, but now, but that was polluting and we couldn't recycle them. And now the first one has been created that can. So a product designer did that. Mm-hmm. Or, and somebody in the organization said, whoa, there's a problem with what we do and people want it to be different. What can we do? And material scientists and suddenly you've improved it. So so I think this goes all the way to the most trivial seeming idea, all the way to the ones that get all the, the press.
1: Excellent. Yeah. It does have this way of rippling and having much more impact than sometimes we recognize.
0: I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at rpm.
1: Let's talk about some of the rules in your book. And again, I kind of think of these as proverbs. And I just want for people listening to this, each one does, as we mentioned, contain this really beautiful artwork. And I love how that just helps reinforce the ideas, right? That it's connecting to what you're talking about. And as you talked earlier, that helps them stay in our head a little bit better. Can you just, you know, let's highlight a few that stand out to you and what you want to share with listeners.
2: Okay. So, well, I should say that the book's also structured to be not only is it dip in, dip out,
1: mm-hmm.
2: have a, a creative image, it's also can be read start to finish. Mm-hmm. And it was designed very unusually to be read in two, you know, less than two hours. You uh-huh. could get through it, start to finish and go through. And that, yeah, it, it's worth mentioning because one of the principles in the book is that you should make your ideas easier to swallow or that some ideas are easier to swallow. And it goes through in just about, you know, about 100 words or so what we have learned about how to design an idea so that it becomes popular. And this is used and things like making an idea likable and shareable. Uh-huh. And uh, that, that's one of the reasons that, that, that we did that, because people don't tend to finish books. They just don't read them. They gather dust. And what we want of people to read them, even if they're very busy, even if they never read books, and especially if they never finish them. So, yeah, one, make your ideas easier to swallow. It is definitely one of those principles. But there, of course, are about 50 others, maybe, uh, aphorisms, mm-hmm. aphoristic principles. So even useless can be useful. There's a section on that. And there's a terrific impossible watering can, I think, is the image that we picked and designed by the uh, a lady, Camprani. And she, so it shows this watering can that bends back on itself so that as you attempt to water, it just uh, puts the water back into the watering can. So, the, you know, an impossible, pointless object, a useless object. But there are useless objects everywhere that can inspire. So artwork, okay. things that don't really matter. Go to the sculpture, go see Picasso, Go. S- do you see, see something just for fun. It's play. But equally, I think if you spot a, a an item, a product, a process that isn't working, that seems a bit useless... And Mm. you say that? Oh, that's that that that's just useless, you know. What what were they thinking? That is gold, Mm. innovation gold. Because what you've just had is a problem insight. Mm. You have just noticed, and I know your audience will be full of people who are good Mm noticers, and they've noticed that something's wrong. And at that point, you say, "What can I do? How do I improve on the useless work of somebody else?" Because they noticed. a a, an opportunity to build something but they clearly didn't get there and so you can apply another principle at this point and you say beautiful ideas are never perfect so you say well it's not perfect it is a bit useless how do i use that then to do something better how do i take a quick fix and fix it Uh, because it shows that there's a market need so all these principles are around noticing Ideas and uh, your world, and then doing something better with them. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's what as everyday innovators we enjoy doing. We see the world as problems that we can add value to. Let's dive into a couple of those. You mentioned ideas are easy to swallow, and I think this one's particularly important for us in organizations where we need to get others thinking along with us. We need to try to influence people to embrace our ideas, help us figure out why it's not going to work, what we can, how we can make it better, right? And often our ideas, anyone's ideas aren't easy to swallow just because they're different, right? We're, we're doing something different than the organization wants to embrace. So what are the specifics of making an idea easy to swallow?
2: Well, typically you have to demonstrate, right? likable is one of the things that, that I think is hugely important. Mm-hmm. It's something likable, accessible, shareable. You have to come at it from the position of the person you're sharing it with. So in the, the book and in my work, uh, ideas are always represented by babies, uh, so th- they have to be created by parents. Uh, and those parents are curiosity on the one hand and necessity on the other. Uh, and they come together somehow. Some people just create stuff just because they want to; they love it. And mm-hmm. somebody else applies that idea though to solving something because they need to. And when those two forces come together, you get innovation. So if but the ideas that we come up with are little babies and they're often ugly to other people and beautiful to us mm-hmm. and not finished yet right so what I think it's very important that people realize that they need a, a village to raise an idea they need people around it they need people to use it in the world so that it does some good and they need to, you know people to actually help make it work and sustain it so you've got to make it likable and you have to imagine that not just think you're right and not just think people should get your point of view. You have to get it across. You have to become a salesman or you have to hire a salesman. You have to market your new idea. And that's, again, one of the reasons for this book was to try to help the kind of people that you're talking about share their enthusiasm for their subject, Mm -hmm. you know, with normal people. So you'd have to show that it's superior. You have to show that it's compatible simplicity, observability, trialability, help people to try your idea out, help them see how it is better, see how it works and see how it might fit into their their, their lives. Mm-hmm. That's what we, we do as innovators.
1: Yeah, I love that. And we have to be able to help others understand where this idea is going and why it's different, why it actually does create value. There's another one. So this has a picture of a helmet, like a sports helmet, football helmet. Okay, yeah, yeah. With a brain inside of it. And the title of that is What You Know Can Hurt. And I think for everyday innovators, a lot of the people I work with are typically in medium to large companies, and they have great experience, right? They've been doing product work for 10 plus years. And over times, we get used to what we're doing. And we think we have a good understanding of the problems and the customers and this, this rule, this proverb, what you know can hurt, kind of addresses that. Can you talk
2: about that a bit? Yes, because we, we can tend to think it's what we don't know that hurts us. Mm-hmm. No, what you don't know can't hurt you. You know, as in keeping a secret, mm-hmm. or our lack of knowledge can hurting you. We're, what, what this is about, to some extent, is that it's the, the thing that you think is knowledge, the thing you think is a fact and is unchanging, is not really a fact it's just uh, either an opinion or a principle or a fact that uh, held true at a particular point and so the knowledge that we have acquired can become a prism to some extent certainly it can become our perspective and our worldview, and we find it hard to, to, to get out of that and what it does in effect is create either a prison or blinkers and you just can't see anything outside of that so If somebody attacks you from the left or from the right or change is just coming and you don't notice it, that change can still hurt you. Just because you don't recognize it, just because you're in denial, doesn't mean it won't hurt you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can want to be a miner all day long, a coal miner, and you can wish that you were there, but the world needs clean energy. Facts. So what you used to know can hurt you. And I think recognizing that there's always a blind spot mm-hmm. and there's also a piece of knowledge outside and our what we think are facts are not re- really can help us say, I could be wrong here. Yeah. I mean it. I mean it. Right. There's probably something I'm not thinking of. I mean it. Right. Rather than just using it as an aside.
1: Yeah. Two things I often encounter with everyday innovators and the companies I work with. One is this notion that someone that is moving to a new domain and, you know, trying to get hired someplace else, they often run into this barrier that says, well, we're really looking for someone with experience in our domain, our industry. And my counseling to the person interviewing when they ask about this is always, you know, you want to reposition this because if they're actually wanting to add new value to their customers and be the innovator, they need someone that doesn't make all the same assumptions that everyone else in that company has been making. They need someone who knows the innovation process that will come in and, add a different perspective because you aren't going to make any of those assumptions. Right. And so oh, that
2: is so right. Yeah. So right. And, and stress it, 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 your
1: position as an expert on the process and this new catalyst to help them. Right.
2: No, absolutely. Well, there's a principle in, in the book and mm-hmm. I'm thinking in the principles in the book, but yeah. that's, I guess the point. And there's one that says hire people for how they learn, not what they know. Hmm. And so it's, a, it, it's the other version of right. this, which is so, Somebody's willing to come to your business that doesn't have the right experience, but they do have some experience. How do do they think? How do they learn? Mm -hmm. How will they learn when they come in? What new knowledge and what new perspective? A lot of the corporate turnarounds, if you notice, have occurred when somebody outside of the firm comes in. Mm. Somebody outside of the industry has come in and suddenly they're doing things very naturally in a very different way. And of course, that can go wrong, but what value there is all the same. So I would much rather ask somebody, but OK, so how do you think you'd approach this? Yeah. And what if I told you this? And, and how would you learn if you didn't know? That That's so important. Mm-hmm. It may be important for the people who are hunting the job, too, though, to say, then I, I, need, to, I need to demonstrate uh, that I can learn mm. and that that is more important and put it back on them. Say, no, I haven't worked for 10 years in this industry, but I can tell you what, I can learn very quickly. Let me show, let me give you an example of that. Right. And I think that helps as well. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. yeah. How we learn, how we adapt.
1: Yeah. And the other one I run into is just that customer perspective. Uh, you know, people ha- that have been working in their industry for 10 plus years, mm. they know how to do operations and turn out new products. And I find over times they kind of lose touch with the delight. I love this baby idea, right? The, the delight of looking through new eyes all the time with customers. And over time, they just tend to forget about the customer being the center of everything, and just getting reconnected to that is re- really helpful.
2: So. Yeah, yeah to, hu- to humans that aren't just do it, who aren't just paying them or, yeah. or they're managing or in the business. And it does seem like sometimes you you open the door at work for some people, and they instantly forget what it's like to be a human dealing with the business mm-hmm. or a human at various levels in the business and that's such a shame for, to to lose that the, the best perspective mm-hmm.
1: yep excellent so so many other rules we could go through i found this book delightful in a very valuable way because i like the pictures that are used to reinforce that it is easy to read through, that there is a flow to it, as you mentioned, but you can also dive in and just, you know, in a minute, looking at one of the rules, get some new insights and new perspective. And as we were talking before we started recording, I did not realize all the pictures in every single rule, every single chapter and a chapter of page, essentially, that many of them are sculptures, which actually adds kind of a different dimension to me because I see them as pictures, right? Two-dimensional pictures. Yes, yes. And knowing that they were three, 3D objects that, photographs were taken of add some richness to me in some in some sense well
2: somebody made it yeah right you know the reason yeah yeah that it's practical creativity so yeah. i sent you a, along with your book your, your copy i sent you a little plastic baby and that plastic baby is one of the ones that we took photographs of for the book mm-hmm. so in the book where you see a baby riding a shark, or right. you see a baby being chased by dinosaurs, that's a real baby, well, not a real baby, but a real plastic baby. Right. That's uh, that's and we, we've posed that and played with it. Uh, and I think that's important because, you know, you have to kind of make things and remake things and get your hands dirty, mm-hmm. both, uh, I think, metaphorically, but actually really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you you know you lose clay and you move things around and you open the the, the the look at the engine and see how it works and it's the same with everything take it yep. apart get your hands dirty then remake it better
1: yep yeah i don't know if you have a play kit available that you maybe use when we work with companies but the play kit of these actual sculptures it would be, cool, it, it? It. It would be yeah. to, you know the, company the book. Really good. As everyday innovators know, we always like to wrap up with a quote. What's a quote that you have for us?
2: Well, one quote I really like is Elon Musk. He has lots of failings, I'm sure as people I'm sure are aware, but he is a fairly dedicated and successful innovator all the same. Mm-hmm. And he has been successful at doing the three jobs of an innovator, you know to make them useful, to get brains around his work and to make his work successful. And he said on one occasion about his rocket at work, SpaceX, he said, optimism, pessimism, screw that. We're just going to make it work. And there is an aspect here where that's why he sleeps in his factories and at work and why he is working 22-hour days. I'm not saying everybody should do that. But what I like here is the sense that It is possible, and we are going to make it work, and it's not just about hope, or and it's not just about wishing. Mm -hmm. It is possible, and we will make it work, and that kind of drive is not necessary in all areas of innovation at all, but it it certainly stays with me. Make it happen. Mm -hmm. Just keep moving forward. Make it happen.
1: Yeah, and often that means we have to push through and encounter barriers that need breaking and make it happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, excellent. Thank you
1: for sharing that with us. For people that want to get their hands on your book, which I do recommend and find out about the other work you do. You have other books as well. How can they get in touch with your work?
2: Well, the to buy the book, of course, Amazon and all good bookshops mm-hmm. will have it. It's launching in the United States in January. So you should be able to get your hands on it then and globally after that. If you you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also particularly, I think, for your audience, LinkedIn, where I spend most of my online time. Mm-hmm. So you can see videos and posts and download free material and, and get involved, even if I never actually come to your business to, to help you out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you have a website of resources as well, right? Yeah, the, the max you you can go there and get get photos and downloadable material as well yeah come join me but if you really want to chat if somebody's listened to this now Mm -hmm. and says hey i've got a question then come on to linkedin ask me a question uh, and i'll answer it excellent
1: max appreciate your time thank you for sharing the insights and your experience with the everyday innovators
2: thank you so much Uh, really interesting questions
1: a real pleasure thank you Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers make their move to product master. And yes, I'm talking to you. You are listening and becoming a product master. We do that by learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so that you'll create products that customers love. We have a detailed summary of all the discussion with Max. Anything that you want to go back to, you'll find that at TheEverydayInnovator.com slash 260. Hope you put it to good use. Share it with someone. Help them become a product master as well. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.